one of the most amazing truths of Scripture is expressed by the Apostle John, I think, in 1 John 3, 1. Now, now growing up with a dad who loved his son, it's, um, it's uh, uh, easy for me, uh, I think, to um, latch hold of God's love for me and kind of understand that because my father did such a good uh, job of loving me, his son, and, and showing me what love was and in sacrificial ways too. So this verse says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's exactly what we are, the verse says. That's what we are. What a wonderful truth that we are God's family. We have a heavenly Father who loves us, not only loves us, but lavishes love on us. What a wonderful truth. Through the grace of God, we have the opportunity to become God's own children. And I believe that is really an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. We're truly children of God. Now today what I want to do is I want to look at some characteristics of children. I want to consider some childish traits that we should remove from our lives. And then in a couple weeks in part two of this message, I'm going to consider some childlike traits that we should add to our lives. So I thought I'd begin by reading some real-life illustrations that give some insight into the minds of children. Here we go. A little girl was talking to her teacher about whales, and the teacher said it was physically impossible for a whale to swallow a human because even though it was a very large mammal, its throat was very small. And the little girl stated that Jonah was indeed swallowed by a whale. Irritated, the teacher reiterated that a whale could not swallow a human. It was physically impossible. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And the teacher said, well, what if Jonah went to hell? And the little girl replied, well, then you ask him. (laughs) There was a Sunday school teacher, and she was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five- and six-year-olds, Sunday school teacher. And um, after explaining the fifth commandment, to honor thy father and mother, the teacher asked, is there a commandment that deals with how to treat your brothers and sisters? And without missing a beat, one little boy, he was the oldest in his family, of course, answered, yes, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) One little girl was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink, when suddenly this little girl noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair that were sticking out in contrast to her mom's beautiful brunette head of hair. And she looked at her mother and inquisitively she asked, why, why are some of your hairs white, mom? And her mother replied, well, every time you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turns white. And the little girl thought about this revelation for a little while, and then she turned to her mom and said, Mama, how come all of Grandma's hairs are white? (laughs) Now, all parents know that children can be a tremendous joy and at times can cause a great deal of frustration. And that's because there's such a wide variety of characteristics, both good and bad in children. And the truth is... Some of those characteristics are admirable, and some of them are not so admirable. And as 
Christians, God intends for us to imitate those admirable characteristics or those qualities we see in children while trying to get rid of the characteristics that aren't so admirable. Paul put it this way. In 1 Corinthians 14.20, Paul says, Brothers, stop thinking like children. Stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In other words, there are certain ways that we should strive to imitate or to be like children. And then there are other ways that we should. And it's a process that we could call being childlike, but not childish. And I want to look at eight different characteristics that we find in most children. And today I'll take the first four. We'll consider these childish traits that we need to outgrow as we mature in Christ. And when we come back to part two, we'll, we'll consider the four childlike qualities that we want to develop in our Christian lives. So just what are the characteristics of a child that we as followers of Christ should not have in our lives? Paul said this, and he said this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. See, growth in maturity involved putting certain childish things behind us. It's been said, you're only young once, but you can stay immature indefinitely. So let's look at these four childish traits we need to abandon or get rid of as we grow up in Christ. The first childish trait we need to get rid of is selfishness selfishness. Someone has composed the following list of toddler's rules of ownership. And it goes like this. Toddler's rules of ownership. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in, number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, it's, it's, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. <laughs> if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine, it's mine. If it's yours and I steal it, it's mine. I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I can, you know, as we giggle about that, haven't we seen that before? In the lives of children, it's mine. You know, that's how they act. There's a lot of truth to that. A child's world centers around himself, at least for the first couple of years. Someone has said that every child, in every child, there's a potential dictator. <laughs> that's good. And it becomes very evident at an early age. You, you bring a child home from the hospital and you lay him down in his crib and then you lay down in bed and go to sleep. Now, in a, in a couple of hours, that child will wake up with an urge to eat. Now, you would think that the child would reason to himself, hey, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, my, my parents are tired, and, and, I, and I really hate to cry and wake them up. They need their rest. I think I'll just wait a few more hours before I say anything. <laughs> but you know, as well as I do, that that's not how it works. 
Instead, it goes something like this. The reasoning process goes like this. I'm hungry, and you will feed me right now. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what else needs to be done. I am going to be fed, and I'm going to keep screaming until that happens. That's reality, isn't it? Yes. And that's selfish. That's selfish. Uh, A baby's world revolves around the concept, what do I want? What do I want? And you know what? Listen to me closely. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Because that's the way God has designed babies. That's how they survive. And by the way, that's not sin. When a baby cries, when a baby has an urge, when a baby is selfish, that's not sin. No, that's a God-ordained survival instinct. But there's something very, very much wrong if you find a Christian who ought to be maturing in their faith acting that same way in the church. And it's important as we grow up in Christ that we turn away from being self-centered and we become centered in Christ and on other people. We've talked about this before. It's kind of fun with the kids to teach them that acronym joy and if you really want joy in your life what do you do you put jesus first others and then yourself j-o-y and it leads to true joy paul said it this way and this is out of philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 so well said do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit but in humility consider others better than yourselves Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, don't spend all your time thinking about yourself. Think about the needs of others. Invest time and energy in other people. We've done a good job, I think, with this in our church. I love the way our church takes care of needs. And I'm I'm really proud, in, in a good way, proud to be a part of a church that recognizes needs and addresses those needs. And let's never stop doing that. Let's always be about meeting the needs of other people. Selfishness is all right in a baby, but for those who are seeking to grow up and to mature in Christ, it's a childish trait that we need to get rid of. The second childish trait we need to get rid of is ignorance. Ignorance. I want you to listen to these answers. These answers were given by children, students, I don't know the age, uh, from a church in South Carolina to test questions on the Bible. And this was in 1995. It was printed in an issue of National Review. I don't know how old these children were, but there's a pile of ignorance here and also some humor. Here it goes. Answers to test questions. And this is uh, a church situation. Noah's wife was called Joan of Arc, of course. (laughs) Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) Samson slayed the Philistines with the axe of the apostles. (laughs) Unleavened bread, and here's a good one, unleavened bread is bread, well, without ingredients. Okay, here's here. uh, Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. 
The seventh commandment is thou. This is this. Is the seventh commandment is thou shalt not admit adultery. <laughs> Solomon had seven, Solomon had three hundred wives and seven hundred porcupines. <laughs> the the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> This, this is, okay, this is, there's, this is funny. A Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. <laughs> Joshua led the Hebrews in the battle of Jericho. <laughs> now, I realize that what I'm going to say next doesn't sound very nice, but the truth is children are ignorant. They're ignorant of, of a lot of things. They don't know very much. And you go up to a two-year-old and you say, hey, how much is two plus four? And they probably won't know. You ask them who the president of the United States is and they probably won't know. You ask them what the capital of Michigan is and they probably won't know. A child is ignorant, but you know what? That's okay. That's okay. Again, he's supposed to be. But every year he grows more and more in knowledge, just as we should be doing in Christ. Peter closed out his second epistle with these words, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When a person first becomes a Christian, they're a lot like a newborn baby. They're going to be ignorant. You go up to a brand new Christian and you ask him, Who was the father of Isaac? He may say, I don't know. You ask him, what book of the Bible records Peter delivering the first gospel sermon? He may say, I don't know. You ask him whether the book of Jude is in the Old Testament or the New Testament, he may say, I don't know. And folks, for a new Christian, that's okay. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with ignorance in a new or a young Christian. The problem comes when that ignorance is still there after years and years of opportunity to grow and mature through the study of God's Word. And this is why the Hebrew writer rebuked his readers. He says this, and this is in the book of Hebrews 5.12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, shame on you. You should have grown up out of your ignorance more than you have. He's saying over the years you should have matured in your knowledge so that you can teach others, but you haven't done that. You're you're still ignorant of the basic truths. And as we grow and mature in Christ, we need to shed this childish trait of ignorance. The third childish trait we need to get rid of is stubbornness. Stubbornness. Almost every child goes through periods of stubbornness and and really outright rebellion. Not all, but almost every. Every parent has either experienced firsthand or heard of the horror stories related to the terrible twos. Maybe some of you are even currently experiencing some of those horror stories. I don't know. But as a child's little mind begins to develop... It doesn't take long for it to guide that child into patterns of stubbornness. Stubbornness. There comes a time when a child or children in general will learn 
to use the word no. And for many children, if they're not trained differently, that becomes their favorite word. Eat your vegetables, no. Go to bed, no. Pick up your toys, no. And as a parent, dealing with that stubbornness requires a great deal of love and patience as the child is taught to respect and obey authority, mom and dad. Stories told of a man who was pushing a shopping cart through the store and in the cart was a screaming, bouncing, out of control little baby boy. And as the man walked up and down the aisles, he kept saying over and over again, he kept saying, don't yell, Brian, calm down. Brian, don't get excited. A young woman was standing next to him and he noticed what she knows what was going on. And she said, you certainly are to be commended for trying to lovingly soothe your son Brian in such a tense moment. And the man looked at her and said, hey lady, I am Brian. (laughs) And even though it's expected, stubbornness is certainly a difficult trait to deal with in children. And it's even more difficult to deal with in a child of God who should know better. A child of God, when a child of God has a stubborn heart and is rebelling against the authority of his heavenly Father, the attitude that says, I know what your word says, God, but no, I'm not going to do it. That's, that's childish. That's stubbornness. That's stu- it was a problem that God often faced in the children of Israel. God said to Isaiah in Isaiah 30, verse 9, These are rebellious people deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. And Jeremiah, to Jeremiah, God said this, Jeremiah 5, 23, but these people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned aside and gone astray. According to the American Heritage Dictionary, the word stubborn, stubborn, means unreasonably determined to exert one's will, obstinate. My way is the right way. It carries with it the element of pride. Unfortunately, and please listen closely to this next little uh, bit here because I, I just think this is so important for the church today, the church as a whole. And unfortunately, this trait of stubbornness is perhaps the one trait that has done the most damage to the Christian church than anything else. It's my opinion that denominationalism has separated God's people and caused a terrible disunity in the body of Christ. Do you know what is at the heart of denominational Christianity? The very thing that causes denominational Christianity is stubborn hearts. We're right and you're wrong. And we're so convinced we're right, we're going to start our own brand of Christianity. And I'm not stepping on any toes here, but we may call it Methodist or Presbyterian or Baptist or Lutheran or Assembly of God or any of the other hundreds, hundreds of denominations that are out there that think they're right and everybody else is wrong. There's a spirit of pride in that. There's a spirit of stubbornness in that. Folks, and and I'm not saying that 
we're, uh, because we're not a denominational church, we're, you know, that, that's not who we are. Baloney. We're just as guilty. We're just as stubborn. And we have to check ourselves always that we don't buy into this idea that if no one agrees with us, they must be wrong. Perhaps we're wrong. Perhaps we need to humble ourselves and, and listen closer to what an, another person may be trying to teach us or say to us. Denominational Christianity, in my opinion, is in, in direct opposition to Christ's prayer and plea for unity in His church. Jesus once prayed to the Father, He said, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's what Jesus prayed for. That's what his plea to the Father was. Unity for the church. As Christians, we need to humbly and meekly take God's word into our hearts. Don't ever be stubborn, unwilling to learn and change, and ultimately defying God. I can't, not, not that, I'll tell you, I've got blind spots, and uh, if you know me well enough, you've probably heard me talk about how, you know, through the years, I've had to change my view on a lot of things. And, you know, before, uh, I'll stand before God someday and give an account, and uh, I'd rather stand before God and, uh, and be right, but have to admit that, and, and had come through the process of humility getting there, then stand before God with a stubborn heart and be wrong. And I think that's the spirit we need to have in the church today. We need to align ourselves with the will of God as outlined in Scripture. Obviously, Jesus um, said in John eight thirty one, "If you hold to my teaching, well, you're really my disciples." I'm not saying we compromise. I, I'm just saying we open our ears. I'm just saying we, we consider. In James 4.10, it says, Humble yourself before the Lord and he'll lift you up. Well, we need to humble ourselves and outgrow the childish trait of stubbornness, individually and also as a church. The pattern of this world is stubbornness. Me, me, me. I'm going to look out for number one, and I don't care about you or your opinion. However, Paul says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. So it's time we check ourselves and make sure that we're fo- not uh, following the rest of the world or even other denominational churches in this way. Number f- uh, four is the final uh, childish trait we need to get rid of, and that's no sense of value. No sense of value. Young children do not have a sense of value. I mean, if you were to offer a child a $20 bill or a lollipop, guess which one they'd probably take? The lollipop, yeah. Chances are they'd go for the lollipop. They haven't developed a perspective on values yet. They don't understand how to evaluate what is truly important in this world we live in. As Christians, we also have to mature in our sense of values. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture in Hebrews. Uh, The Hebrew writer used Esau as an example of what we should do. And I'll just quote this out of Hebrews 12, starting at verse 15. He says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, he wanted to inherit his blessing. He was rejected. 
He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, anyone who hears that story of Esau selling his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew, you kind of want to blame Jacob, you know, for taking advantage of his brother. And he did. But do you know that Esau committed the greater sin? His sin was that he didn't realize the value of spiritual things. A bowl of stew was of greater value to him than his birthright with its spiritual blessings. You could say he didn't have an eternal perspective. The Christians that the writer of Hebrew is addressing here were thinking of compromising their faith in order to gain relief from persecution. But to trade their spiritual birthright as a child of God for temporary ease in this world would deprive them of Christ's blessing. And so the Hebrew writer here is saying, he's saying to these people, don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake in your life that Esau did. Don't trade your spiritual blessings for the things of this world. They may seem at the moment to be more attractive, but they're really of far less value. Folks, this takes having an eternal perspective. Let me say this, and I I just want to reiterate this. I believe the healthiest prayer that we can pray is, Lord, help me to see this situation, whatever it is, from your perspective. Before we go asking requests of God, I think we should first back up and say, Lord... Help me to see this situation from your perspective. Help me to better understand this. Eternal perspective. For the most part, the world looks at going to church every Sunday as a waste of time and energy and money. And that's okay for the world. That's okay. You would expect that. We shouldn't expect any different. But it's not okay for the follower of Christ. But let me take this a step further. The world thinks reading and studying the Bible is a waste of time and energy. And that's okay. However, for the follower of Christ, for the follower of Jesus, it is the most important and productive use of our time possible. It's sad but true that for the most part, the world now looks at having and training children as a tremendous burden. Not only a tremendous burden, but also a tremendous waste of time and energy. But the truth, the truth according to God's word is that having children is not a burden, but a blessing. It's not a waste, it's an investment. It is an investment according to the truth of God's word. You see, many times we adults make wrong choices because we really haven't come to understand what things are truly important in this life. We tend to make bad choices when we have a distorted sense of value, when we don't understand what's truly important, when we don't have an eternal perspective. Uh, If you want a good list of important spiritual things, um, go, go to Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Many of you probably have it memorized. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
and self-control. Those are things of great worth in this life. We have to outgrow this childish sense of values and, and come to an understanding of the things that are really important in life. Well, let me wrap this up. It's time that we start uh, to see these childish traits for what they are. They really are sin. They really are sin. If we know better, uh, then it becomes a sin issue in our life. And whether it's selfishness, ignorance, stubbornness, or lack of value, or any other childish trait, it's still disobedience to the will of God. The great Houdini, being a master magician and a great locksmith, once bragged that there wasn't a jail cell in the world that he could not escape from, provided he could go into the cell dressed in his street clothes and work in complete privacy. There was a small town in England, and they had built a new jail, which uh, they believed was escape-proof. And so they invited Houdini to come and to try to break out. So Houdini accepted the, the challenge. They put him in the cell and they closed the door and he was left alone. Well, he took off his belt and took from his belt a tough, flexible steel rod. And he began to go to work on the lock. He worked longer and harder than he he had ever worked on a lock before. And he still couldn't open that lock. As time passed, he was becoming exhausted. He was stumped. Finally, after two solid hours of work, Houdini collapsed from exhaustion. He fell against the door to the cell, and when he did, it swung open. It had been unlocked the whole time. Let me, let me, tie, let me tie this together. Try, try, to, try to follow me here. We're talking about childish traits, selfishness, and other things. We're, we're trying to get these out of our life. See, some of you here today probably feel a lot like the great Houdini did. See, you've been struggling for quite some time to escape these childish traits. You see, as I'm going through these, you you know what I'm talking about. These are, you're you're familiar with what I'm talking about when I'm talking about these childish traits. And chances are, one or two of these you're struggling with, and you know it. And you may have been struggling with these childish traits, one or two, for quite some time now, trying to escape the childish traits. But like a well-designed prison cell, it's very difficult to free yourself. You know what? You and I cannot overcome these sinful, childish traits in our lives by our own effort and hard work alone. It will not happen. In fact, many of these traits have been a part of your lives for so long that they're habits now. And we need to admit, admit to God that we're helpless. We need to turn to God and ask for His help. Because He can and will set us free. Did you know... Just hang in there a couple more moments because I want to tie this. It's really important. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life today? Now, here's, a, here's something. Listen. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life today, whether or not you're a Christian? Oh, you may not be being filled if you're not a Christian, but nonetheless, the Spirit is still at work. The Bible says in John 16, 8, Jesus told His apostles that when the Holy Spirit came, He would convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. 
See, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in a non-believer's life, to convict of guilt. Here's something, though. Not only is the Holy Spirit at work before a person is a Christian, did you know that the Holy Spirit is at work during the moment of conversion? Did you know the, the work of conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Yep. At the moment of conversion, listen to this verse out of Titus 3. He saved us not because of our righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And it goes on to say this. He saved us through the washing of rebirth. And how? And renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit's business. There's other verses that we could share about that. However, the point I want us to really grab hold of today is this. And this is exciting. The point I want you to see as we close this message and as we consider getting rid of these childish, sinful characteristics in our life is this. The Holy Spirit is definitely at work in the life of the Christian. The promise of the Bible is that the Holy Spirit will give the Christian both wisdom and strength. Wisdom and strength. We... we, I just have to share it because we stumbled upon a, a beautiful verse. I, I don't know why I didn't catch this sooner. I've, I've read through this passage so many times. And then today in Pete's Bible study, it just slapped me in the face. <laughs> and it was wonderful. Uh, where is it at here? Philippians 3, was it, where we were at? Um, oh, no, not Philippians, Ephesians. I'm sorry. Ephesians 3. Let me just give me a moment here. I was so excited when I... When we came across this, I just, um, oh boy, I have it in my other Bible and I just can't find it right now. Do you remember how, how it's worded there, Gene? We were, uh, um, yes, yeah, it is God who works in you to both will and act according to his good purpose, to will and to act. See, the Holy, and it says in you, in you. See, as I become a Christian, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. He's working in me to will, to understand the wisdom that I need to do what's right and to act, the strength to carry it out. Those are the two things the Holy Spirit is, is, is going to do in the life of a believer. And that's, what our, that, that's an exciting thing as we talk about getting rid of these childish tendencies. To overcome childish, sinful tendencies in our life, we must be willing to surrender. We must be willing to give up and allow Jesus to open the door. Let him do this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him, who surrender to Jesus. The promise is you will have the Holy Spirit's help. Philippians 2.13. Thanks, Troy. I've been crucified, Paul says. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but now Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you want to truly conquer or overcome these childish traits in your life, then give up. Quit trying. Quit trying. That might even sound funny, but quit trying. Quit trying to live your own life and come under the authority and control of Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. During your communion with God this morning, just ask yourself if Jesus is Lord of your life, master of all that you are, and if not, now is a great time 
for you to remake that commitment. The emblems that we have, the bread and the juice, they're meant to represent Christ's body that was broke and His blood that was shed for you and me. They're meant to be a reminder of what Jesus did for us at Calvary. It's through His death, His burial, and His resurrection that He's made it possible for us to have a relationship with God. And our communion time is open to anyone who has surrendered his or her life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and how it challenges us. And as we study your word, it's just refreshing uh, to, to hear the words of truth and to hear the hope and to know that there's answers, there's a way that's right. And there's joy and there's hope and there's peace and all these wonderful things that come through us surrendering, yielding, to your authority. Father, I pray specifically for the person here today who's struggling with one, two, or perhaps all of these traits that we talked about today. Would you help that person, maybe for the first time in their life, to truly yield, to truly surrender to you? And I pray, Father, as they do, as even if it's a baby step, as they step out, that you'd come up under them in a powerful way, that they would just know that it is your grace Father, that is your power that's going to allow them, help them to overcome these uh, childful traits. Well, we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.